as you're getting your child into school, the goal is to wean off any of these accommodations. That trusted person that meets your child at the door and helps them get into the building, we don't want that to be a forever arrangement. It's just a way to get them in the building. Because remember, that's the most important thing is that we get them in the building and then we keep them in the building. Welcome to season six of Fluster Clucks with Lynn Lyons, where we talk about a family's anxiety and all the big feelings too. We tackle the serious stuff without being too serious. And I'm your co-host, Robin. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law, and I'm here to ask your questions. And I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author. And I've been a therapist for over 30 years. Parenting can be a Fluster Clucks, and I'm here to help you find your way. I'll give you concrete steps to take and the words to say. So Lynn, we have started our school year and we're well into it now, but I have a feeling there are a lot of families out there where just getting to school is still a bit of an issue every morning. That's a huge issue. I mean, there's a lot of data now where we're looking at an increase in difficulty of kids getting into school. And so I think what we should talk about today, because we've done episodes in the past and we can certainly do more episodes about school avoidance and how we deal with that. What I really want to talk about today is when you get your anxious kid to school, when you get your worried child into the building, because that's what we want to have happen. What do we do once they're there to keep them there? And how do we make sure that the adults that are supporting you as a parent and the people in the school, how do we have a consistent plan? Because there are some real do's and don'ts about this keeping kids in school problem that I come up against pretty frequently. I can imagine that the advice you're about to give is relevant sort of along this whole spectrum of kids who do just ask to come home once in a while or a pattern might be starting with younger kids versus those that have the ongoing. I have a feeling you're going to say you would approach it in a very similar way. Yeah, absolutely. The thing from the beginning, whether or not you have a child who has anxiety or not, or whether or not you have a child who's sort of moving in that direction, is that the expectations need to be clear. And I think that one of the reasons that we're seeing a lot more instances of kids not going into school is because COVID sort of messed that up, right? I mean, was there a lot of discussion about most of the kids in this country? Like, are we going to school today or not? No. And schools also did a really good job of setting things up so that you could do school from a distance, right? You could do remote learning. And so kids' expectations of Monday through Friday or whatever, we get up in the morning, we go to school, we come home from school, all of that got really changed in a way that I think was unprecedented, to use the COVID word. So now we're trying to get back into those expectations of we wake up in the morning, we go to school, and then school is over, and then I come and pick you up. I mean, I say this humorously, but in reality, I'm kind of serious. That parallel that so many adults feel now about having to go to the office yes, and how so many don't want to go to the office because that same disruption happened and we don't want to be there sometimes or all the time. <laughs> yeah. So I think you're exactly right because there was this person I know who runs a pretty significant company and prior to COVID, remote working, I mean, people sort of floated that idea by him and he was like, no, no, no. Now that 
we went through COVID, he's much more amenable to it because everybody had to go through it and he saw that people could do it and he kind of likes it himself. I mean, I think he also found that, gosh, I don't have to go in five days a week. Some school districts are really talking about a four-day school week. So there's all this sort of fluidity of going to school that didn't exist before. The problem is, is of course, we know how much worry and anxiety love to grab onto any opportunity. And so I think that's kind of what's happened a little bit. So you've got kids that have difficulty getting into school anyway, and now this acceptance of I don't have to go to school or it's fine if I show up some days and don't show up some days is really getting in the way for a lot of families. They're trying to navigate this and it becomes tricky. Let's talk about what doesn't work, because that's pretty clear. When you're talking about this based on so many of the experiences you've had with the families you work with, is this all ages or is this mostly elementary school? Well, I'll divide it up, but I'm going to talk about little kids first. But what happens, what I see very often is that people come to see me at different stages in their anxiety journey. And sometimes when I have a high schooler or a middle schooler who really is having a hard time going to school and staying in school, that pattern was kind of established early on. So the family has always had difficulty knowing, the parent has always had difficulty knowing when should I get my kid, when should I leave them, when they call and say they want to come home, should I go in and get them, shouldn't. That pattern has kind of been in place for a while. And then oftentimes it ramps up in middle school and high school because just the logistics of getting an older kid into school become more challenging because it's easier to get a six-year-old into school than it is to get a 14-year-old into school. I'm yeah. sure that's right. Yeah. Because the sack of potatoes technique, I'm all for the sack of potatoes technique, which is that if you've got a little child who's having difficulty getting into school, it really is okay for the parent to pick them up and carry them into school and then deliver them into the waiting arms of somebody that the parent trusts. Can't do that with a sophomore in high school. That would not work. So one of the things you want to think about is, first off, is what are the expectations that you are conveying to your child about getting into school? And I really am talking about kids that have trouble with worry and they may have a lot of trouble with physical symptoms, which is one of the things that kids really can use, not in a conscious manipulative way. But remember, I always say, people say, is that anxiety or manipulation? And I say anxiety is very manipulative because it wants what it wants. But physical symptoms are real when it comes to anxiety. So if a little child wakes up or even a big child wakes up and says, I don't feel good, I have a tummy ache, I have a headache, I feel sick, parents have a difficult time knowing, is my child sick? Is this anxiety? Should I bring my child to school? COVID complicated that because there was such a long list of physical symptoms that we weren't supposed to bring our kids to school if they had these symptoms. You want to set the expectations in your family that a school day is a school day. And when it comes to difficulty getting kids into school, the rule of thumb is we want them in the school building as soon as possible and for as long as possible. So the longer they stay out of school and the more that you take them out of school, the more that this problem tends to snowball. So let's talk about the communication that is really helpful and the communication that's not helpful. If you are working well with the school, and by the school, I mean sometimes it's just one person. Sometimes it's the counselor. Sometimes it's the assistant principal. Sometimes it's a para that's there that's assigned to your child that's a trusted person 
you want to make sure that the communication between you and the other adult, whoever is receiving your child, is very collaborative and very consistent so that everybody's on the same page. What is the goal that you are working toward? And then you have to be very clear with the adult that you're working with, whoever is receiving your child, what is the language that you're going to use? What are the things you're going to say and not say? How much are you going to talk? And of course, the answer is not as much as you think you should. And so that those transfers, that drop-off is as consistent, is as clear, and is as non-protracted as possible. Is that a word, non-protracted? I don't know if that's a word. If it is, I don't know what it means. Oh, long. Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I could have just used that word, I guess. Yeah. We want short over long. We want consistent over creative. We want less talking versus more talking. And we also want a lot of warmth. So we want a lot of emotional warmth as these transfers are happening. So we want a lot of empathy. What that would look like is you've got the person, you're going to drive up to school, your child is going to get out of the car, they know that this is the person that's going to greet them and meet them. I'm not a big fan of creating all sorts of accommodations in terms of different arrival times and we're going through a different door and the person who's meeting your child has to be wearing a green t-shirt and you know we don't need to do all that, but we want to have consistency. And you as a parent have to be able to tolerate the big emotions that you might see in your child and the adult who's receiving your child has to be able to tolerate those emotions too. The transfer happens. There may be a few phrases that you use that are sort of stock phrases like, I know this is hard and I love you and I'll see you at the end of the school day. And the person receiving your child may echo those phrases. I know this is hard. If you're working on your worry, you say, oh, this is when we know Stella shows up and bosses you around. We can handle this. And so you're using all of that language in a very almost rote, consistent, but still warm way, if that makes sense. I know this is hard, honey. Here's Mrs. Smith. I'm going to see you at the end of the school day. So that transfer can happen in a pretty consistent way. I have a question about making sure you're not creating a ritual that has to be adhered to when we come back from our break. You know, sometimes people wait until something bad happens to talk to a therapist, but why wait? Therapy can help you shift your perspective, find tools to cope in difficult times, and feel grounded in your personal relationships. So getting started is the important part. Talkspace makes it easy and affordable. With Talkspace, you can sign up online and get a personalized match with a provider that's right for you, typically within 48 hours. It's incredibly convenient to have virtual sessions with your licensed therapist from the comfort of your home, your car, your office. There's no need to commute to appointments and miss time at work or line up childcare in order to attend sessions. It's mental health care made easy. That's right. And it's secure and private. They use the latest end-to-end bank-grade encryption technology to store client information, complying with the latest HIPAA regulations. Remember, Talkspace is affordable and it's in-network with most major insurers. 
As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $80 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster. To match with your licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster to get $80 off your first month. That's Talkspace.com slash Fluster. I really have to pay attention to hydrating properly. I work out a lot. I talk all the time, as you know. I am pretty active and I don't drink enough water. So I'm constantly thinking about how it is that I am going to hydrate in the best way possible. And I'll tell you, if my water has a little bit of flavor, it's so much easier for me. And if I can get those electrolytes, if I can get more bang for my buck, it's just so much better. I have been using liquid IV. I put it into a huge glass. I put it into the refrigerator. It's cold. It's very tasty. I've been putting it in my water bottle when I go to the gym. The packaging is so convenient. I actually look forward to drinking it, which is not something that comes naturally to me. I love the lemon-lime flavor. They've got a sugar-free apple that is really great. So I think that if you're somebody like me that has a difficult time getting in the amount of hydration that you need for your body, Liquid IV is a great option. One stick, 16 ounces of water, it hydrates better than water alone. It's got three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, and it doesn't have all that sugar. It doesn't have artificial sweeteners. Eight vitamins and nutrients just for your everyday wellness It's non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. However you hydrate, grab your Liquid IV Hydration Multiplier, sugar-free in bulk nationwide at Costco, or get 20% off your first order when you go to liquidiv.com and use code FLUSTER at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code FLUSTER at liquidiv.com. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy The Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of The Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. Okay, we're back. So Lynn, in another episode, you told a story of a little girl who had a hard time going to school and had this lovely little teacher who met her early every day before school. And then I think the teacher got pregnant and then was no longer at the school. So the accommodation then sort of didn't work. So how do you think about 
a plan that's allowing what you always talk about is flexibility and problem solving and resilience as opposed to anxious kids wanting everything to go exactly as planned. Yeah, such a good question. And that is exactly what you're talking about is that school counselor was the point person and they had this whole ritual that they were going through. So flexibility. So you've got a person, maybe there's a few people because you don't want to depend consistently on one person. Actually, now that you say that, Robin, I think that's a really good point. And you don't want to set things up so that we meet at this exact time, at this exact place. You want it to be, we're going to school and getting dropped off as normally and as fluidly as everybody else that's going to school and getting dropped off. This is where an anxious, loving parent can try and accommodate their child by, I'm going to tell you exactly what is going to happen. Yes. And that's not actually helpful. Correct. And this is where very caring, well-meaning schools do the same thing. So they say in order for this child to come into the building, they need to know exactly what's going to happen. Now, remember, there's a difference between good planning and rigidity and the demands of anxiety to know exactly what's going to happen. So planning is, you know, I mean, you got to get the bus at this certain time or that's where drop off is and this person is going to come and greet you, right? That's good planning. The question you can ask yourself to sort of see whether or not you're moving into this creating certainty realm is, do we have a lot of specifics in place that have to happen? So we have to get there at this time and we have to see this exact person and we have to go in this exact door rather than saying, we're going to drive to school like everybody else drives to school. And then when we get there, you're going to be met by so-and-so and then they're going to take you into the school. There's fluidity to it. And maybe again, it's more than one person. The other thing too that you want to keep in mind is that as you're getting your child into school, the goal is to wean off any of these accommodations. So that trusted person that meets your child at the door and helps them get into the building, we don't want that to be a forever arrangement. It's just a way to get them in the building. Because remember, that's the most important thing is that we get them in the building and then we keep them in the building. Let's talk about what happens once we get them into the building, because this is the communication that can really sort of go awry. And I talk about this a lot. I'm just going to use the phrase that I use all the time, the danger of the pickup plan. So if you drop your child off and you say, if you can make it till lunchtime, then I'll come pick you up. Or even more problematic, and this is for older kids too, if you're feeling anxious at lunch, let me know and I'll come get you. And what happens with that is that say a child knows that mom or dad has a lunch hour from 12 to 1 or they're free at 12 and they're anticipating, well, I'm feeling pretty good. It's 1130 right now. I feel like things are going pretty well, but I know this afternoon I have science class and I really don't like my science teacher. That class really makes me anxious. I get a lot of worry about that. I'm going to take the sure thing. I'm going to choose escape when mom or dad is available because that's just a better plan according to the anxiety. So you don't want to say to your kid, if you're having difficulty, I'll come back and get you. I am also not a big fan of the very slow, gradual reintroduction into school. So the first day you're going to stay for an hour and the next day you're going to stay for an hour and a half and the next day you're going to stay for two hours because it just drags it out. 
And remember, the worry is always bargaining. So the worry might say, all right, well, I'll stay until lunchtime, but as soon as we get to that place where I have to stay after lunch, we're done with this plan. In the building, as quickly as possible, and for as long as possible. Which means if your child starts to have difficulty during the school day, what we want to have in place is that they have somebody that they can go talk to who has a plan when they show up. You know, you've done that front loading. So maybe they show up at the counselor's office and the counselor says, oh gosh, it's Tuesday afternoon right before gym. I thought maybe you'd show up. Let's talk about how we're going to manage your worry. And you should have that plan in place. That's what good therapy does, but that's also what good school counselors do. And the goal is to get them back to class as quickly as possible. If you have a school counselor or the school nurse, because kids end up at the school nurse's office a lot, who consistently calls you to come and get your child, then you need to have a conversation and you need to come up with a better plan. That's a last resort in my book that I'm going to have the parent come and pick up this child. Oftentimes, schools will do that because maybe the child is in the school office and the well-meaning school secretary calls or the nurse is dealing with a lot of stuff and calls because there's physical symptoms. The child says that they feel sick, they're going to throw up. But it really needs to be clear that if we're dealing with an anxious child, the goal is for them to get support in school as much as possible and to really avoid the pickup, which is super hard. And then as kids get older, then they start texting the parents. They don't even go to the school office. They don't even go talk to the nurse. They just text the parent, come get me. I can't handle this. I'm freaking out. Come and get me. As a parent, it is really important to not go get them If you know that this is an avoidance, this is an escape that they're trying to use because of their worry, because of their anxiety. So I know you love school nurses and you always say they're on the front lines of this at school. So obviously a lot of school nurses have been exposed to this and they understand anxiety-driven symptoms and maybe they've even taken trainings you have or the district has shared the information. Do you often get school nurses, though, they'll enable and that they will accommodate like this? Will parents hit a wall like, no, I'm seeking an ally here, but I'm getting pushback and they're just asking me to come and get her? Yes, sometimes. So it really depends on the school nurse. And so it really depends on their experience. It really depends on their comfort dealing with mental health issues, which at this point, school nurses, as you say, are really on the front lines of this. I love training school nurses. I just did a training for a whole group of them at the beginning of the school year. And so what I want to make sure is there's communication between the nurse and the parent where they are very clear about what the consistent symptoms are that a child might arrive with. If a child is a tummy aker, if they come in and say that they have a headache, if they come in and say that they're sick, and this is a repeated pattern, once a school nurse can identify with the help of the parent, and sometimes with the help of the counselor, that we're dealing with a child who's coming to you with anxiety symptoms, then that's where we have to be really careful. Because the way that a school nurse might enable it unknowingly is that they go through the whole medical assessment process 
And that's exactly what the anxiety is looking for because the child will come in and say, I think I'm sick. And then the nurse will take their temperature or do all this and then say, you're not sick, go back to class. So for some kids, that becomes a part of their reassurance seeking. They want to go to the nurse, get their temperature taken. And what happens sometimes is that nurses will be like, all right, well, this is something easy that I can do. It's something quick that I can do. It's something kind that I can do. This kid shows up not feeling well. I can take their temperature and say, look, you're not sick, honey. It'll be okay. Here's some saltines or here's a drink of water. Why don't you rest for a little bit and you can go back to class? The problem with that is that with kids that tend to be more somatic with their anxiety and they're using those physical symptoms or experiencing those physical symptoms and want to get out of school, that supports the idea that they're sick and that they need medical attention and that the nurse will decide whether they're sick or not sick when we're really not talking about sick. We're talking about worry. Here's an example of great communication between a parent and a school nurse. The parent says, okay, so hi, Jane, I just want to let you know that Trevor's really struggling with his worry and that he might show up in your office. And we're working on him coming in and saying to you, I'm feeling really worried and I need some support. And then the school nurse says, oh, your worry is really making your tummy hurt, isn't it? So let's think about what we can do when your worry is so powerful and the school nurse and the student might even have a few index cards that they've put together where it has some phrases that they're using. I know my worry shows up when I have to do blank. I know that my thoughts can feel powerful and they make my body feel funny and I can handle this. And even by sitting here for a moment and talking to my worry, then I can go back to class. So now the school nurse is being incredibly helpful and incredibly supportive, but actually addressing the presenting problem, as we say, rather than getting pulled off into this somatic land where kids come in with tummy aches and headaches and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's such a key distinction where the nurse is actually part of the team that is helping the child be fully aware of the anxiety verbalize and acknowledge it. You often talked about this, and it's this would be great language for the school nurse where you said a reset. A reboot. A reboot or a reset. It's like if a nurse, instead of treating it like an illness, like you said, it's like you're going to give you a saltine and have you lie down and rest. You are mimicking an illness response. But instead, if the school nurse said, let's do a reset together and here are a couple of ideas. Exactly. Schools often talk about like a calming corner. I'm not into that because I think the word calming is used too much and I also think it's too high a bar. I don't want kids to feel like they have to be calm in order to re-engage. I like a reboot room or a reset room. Sometimes people will say to me, well, do you want worried kids to go see the school nurse at all? Isn't that part of them doing the disorder? If they're going seven times a day or if they're even going five times a week, then yes, we want to look at that pattern. The goal is to decrease the visits. But while they're in that learning place, while they're still figuring out how to manage their emotions and manage their worry, visiting the nurse can be a really, really helpful place for them to go to get that reboot and that reset as long as the nurse is using the language that's consistent. Maybe when we come back, we can talk about how to deal with this with older kids and how we want to include 
middle school and high school students in this plan so that we interrupt this pattern of bad communication with the school and the kids getting out of school by communicating directly with their parents. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you you listen to your podcasts. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and, more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests, too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Okay, so now back to the show. So older kids, this gets a little trickier because their anxiety is a little more sophisticated and therefore their language can be more sophisticated as well. Yes. And oftentimes remember that the pattern has been there for a while. So they figured out what works and what doesn't work. The other thing too, that we want to say is that if this pattern has been here for a while, remember that we've got parents that are kind of exhausted and burnt out. When your child is six and dealing with this worry and you're coming up with these plans and you're talking to the school, you may have a little bit more energy to deal with this. And once your child gets into high school and then you're worried about your child, maybe they're saying bigger things, the symptoms are more dramatic, you're more concerned about it, you're more burnt out. With older kids, I think a really important component of this is that any meeting that you have with the school counselor, I love when the school nurse is involved in these meetings with those supported, trusted people, I want the student to be a part of those meetings. And I want you as a parent, perhaps you have to educate the school about what works and what doesn't work. So sometimes it's the other way around, but as a parent, if you've been listening to this podcast and if you feel like you're kind of conversant in how this thing works, you may be the one that's saying to the school, I don't want to be contacted to pick him up. We've been very clear that the goal is for him to stay in school all day. These are the things that he says or does when he's struggling, and these are the things that we're working on. 
that can really help him reboot and reset. And it's really important that we all have this goal together for him to make it through the school day because he needs the opportunity to challenge the anxious data. So that's why we don't like avoidance. That's why we don't like escape is because a child who says, I can't make it through school, and then we take him out of school, his brain, his amygdala, his prefrontal cortex never get the experience of getting through something difficult and then being able to remain in school. So that may often be the language that you have to bring to the school to say, this is what we're working on. We're working on giving him the experience of making it rather than supporting the escapism. And so how are we going to go about doing that? And have the child at the meeting, because when older kids especially are involved in this and coming up with plans, it goes much better than when they feel as if we are imposing something on them and they don't have any input in it. Remember that the reason that anxiety is a cult is because anxiety pulls you in and it wants you to do its demands. And sometimes if we've got a school that's pulled out of the cult, and even if we've got a parent that's pulled out of the cult, the teenager can still be in the cult trying to figure out how to do the disorder despite all of your best efforts. So we want the child involved. We want the student involved especially if people haven't been listening for a while, give us a hypothetical with very concrete language in that. The cult scenario and doing the disorder, put that into practice in a fake conversation. Okay. So you're having a meeting and a therapist can be involved in the meeting too, as long as the therapist is not supporting kids leaving school, because I've talked to a lot of therapists that do that. So don't do that, therapist. Okay. So you're having a meeting. You're saying, all right, look, we know the worry is going to show up. We know that it's going to have a lot of demands, and we know that its main goal is for you to feel comfortable, for you to feel certain, and for you to get out of here. So when you start feeling overwhelmed, when you start feeling anxious, the first thought you're going to have is, from the anxiety, we got to get out of here. You can't handle it. That's the cult leader. The cult leader basically says, you can't handle this, and you need to follow my rules, and we need to get out. And I might say, if we're talking to a student or a parent, what are the responses going to be and where are you going to go and what are you going to do when your worry and your anxiety show up? Let's walk through that. So I like the three X's. We're going to expect the worry to show up. We're going to externalize it so that we begin to recognize its patterns and its symptoms. We become an observer of it. And then we want to experiment by changing those pathways in the brain. And we do that by hanging out and getting through the initial bump. We want to talk about that with kids and say, okay, so if we're going to expect the worry to show up, we got to go to school because the worry will show up in school. We're going to externalize it. So you're going to learn about what your worry says and what your worry does. Remember, worry is really predictable. It's really redundant and it's really persistent. And then we're going to figure out how you can ride this out in school. What can we do to help you get through the school day? And then we're going to remove those things over time. But let's talk about what works for you and what doesn't work for you. We're not going to have you text mom or dad, right? So mom and dad are right there. I'm going to be like, mom or dad, if you get the text, either we're going to decide right now that we're going to ignore the texts 
or that you can send back a little heart emoji, right? Something that says, I got the text and you got this. Maybe you send back a little supportive statement, right? I know this is hard. I'm so proud of you. But you're not going to engage in a negotiation of when pickup is going to happen. That conversation should happen with the supportive people in the school, with the parents, and with the student, and maybe with the therapist if that's a part of the team, so that everybody's on the same page, so that we don't have to renegotiate this on Tuesday and then on Thursday and then on Friday morning, that this is what we're going to do. The problems arise when there is a consistently inconsistent renegotiation of the expectations and there's no consistent steps or plan with the goal of we want you to stay in school. I assume that truthfully, if you're a parent navigating this very difficult and stressful situation, the parent is sometimes like all in and has the strength and will to do it. And then there are days they just say, okay, I give up. Correct. Yeah. And there are days when they're getting the texts from their child and their child is saying, I can't do this, mom. You have to understand. I can't do this. And the mom or the dad hangs with it and does what they need to do and then cries in their car because it is so, so hard. This is really, really hard, and it's not going to be perfect. And there are times when you're going to doubt yourself and when you're going to want to go pick up your kid. And maybe there are going to be times when you are going to go pick up your kid because you just can't maintain this. It is really, really difficult. I will say, and this goes with anxiety through the life cycle, if you can begin to teach these skills, the earlier the better, but it's never too late. If your child has had the ability to decide when they go to school and when they don't go to school, or you go and pick them up a lot, if you and your child and the anxiety are all in the cult together and you have been working against the school for a long period of time, it is really hard to turn this ship around once they get into high school. It is so, so important that the school, the parent, the child are all working collaboratively on the goal. Because I will tell you, things go off the rails really quickly when the parents in the school are not on the same page with this. And it really makes my job harder, actually. When that parent is feeling their parenting tank pretty empty in terms of having the will to respond, maybe some listeners need to hear why we have to do hard things here. Mm Mm-hmm. Every time that you go and pick up your child, when they are having a tummy ache, when they are distressed, when they call and say that they're having a panic attack, every time you go and pick them up, you are reinforcing that they are incapable of managing. So that's not what you want to be doing. That's not what you want to be saying. But you are saying to them, this problem or these symptoms or what you are experiencing emotionally is so overwhelming and so intractable that I need to pull you out. And it's really hard to not do that. I get it. But that's what happens. And then this pattern becomes really sort of the way that they deal with uncertainty in their life, right? So the anxiety starts to take over a lot of things. And what's really heartbreaking for me 
And I think probably for parents too, is it's really hard when your child is at school and they're struggling. But if you have a teenager that's in their room, not going to school, not engaging with friends, has stopped participating in extracurricular activities, that is incredibly scary and heartbreaking for parents. If I had to choose, right? I mean, I know it's all hard. I know it's all hard. But if I had to choose, I want you to be able to tolerate this distress when they're at school and they're getting support versus tolerating your child absolutely shutting down and not engaging in the world and not going to school and not seeing people. I'm going to choose the first discomfort over the second discomfort because that's where we can do some work. As a parent, if you're dealing with this, maybe you're going to need somebody at the school that you can just text and say, oh my gosh, he is really trying hard right now and I am feeling so uncertain and I am really struggling. Just give me a little pep talk. Or maybe you have to have a friend or maybe your partner. You will need support as you get through this. This thing takes on a life of its own. The good news is, this is the really good news, is that when the school nurse, when the counselor, when the administration, when the parents are all working together to sort of support this kid and bolster this kid and teach the skills, amazing things happen. Remember that anxiety is absolutely treatable. And if you are carrying this guilt inside you that says, oh, I'm emotionally damaging my kid by not rescuing them from the anxiety, I guarantee you that that will only get worse over time if you don't address it as early as possible and to have that communication as early as possible. You talk about front-loading a lot. What is a good front-loading conversation when you're not in it, where the parent can feel like they're putting these boundaries up that are necessary with the anxiety while still knowing that they're being loving or that they're showing love by doing this? Yep. So the conversation goes like this. Your anxiety, and you can even say, our anxiety, our family's anxiety, my anxiety does not care about your fun. It doesn't care about your relationships. It doesn't care about your learning. It doesn't care about you being able to do the things you want to do. And as hard as it is for me, I am not going to let the anxiety in myself, in our family, I'm not going to let it get in the way of you being able to have friendships and do fun things and go to school and learn. When your anxiety shows up, it is going to try and convince you and it's going to try and convince me that the best thing that we can do is to give into it. And I need you to know right now, I need you to know three things. One is that this is really, really hard for me because I want to rescue you and I want you to feel comfortable. And so I'm going to work really hard on that. Number two, I love you so much that I am not going to let this thing be in charge of you and in charge of me. And that's going to be hard for us both. And number three, both of us, our brains are incredibly malleable. We're capable of learning. We're capable of doing things that we didn't think were possible. And that's what this is about. It's about giving our brains a chance to learn, our bodies a chance to learn, even though it feels really hard. So I love you, 
but I'm not putting anxiety in charge of our family. I just won't do it. I love you too much to let that happen. Perfect. And then the kid feels all that love and all that warmth and you can be a real human being and you just put it out on the table that it is so hard, but I'm just not going to let this be in charge of us. I also just want parents to know that sometimes doing this over the course of a few weeks can make a huge difference. But letting your child stay home or picking your child up every day over the course of a few weeks can also set in motion a problem that really can get some traction. The earlier, the better. The consistency is really key. Somebody asked a question recently on the podcast group. They said, is there an episode that you have? Is there something that I can give to the teachers so that they can get up to speed on this? Because they're not going to spend a whole day or whatever taking a training, but what can I offer? And we do have those Spotify lists that we've put up, start here Spotify lists. But I think also this episode, if I may be so bold as to say, would be a really great thing to share with your school counselor, to share with your school nurse so that you can have more conversations about this. That's great. Yeah, it's a good idea. Thanks. <laughs> You're known to have quite a few of those. <laughs> oh, I have some real missteps too along the way, but I try and come up with good ideas. Yeah. The goal is to recognize when a good idea is no longer a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening. And if you found this podcast helpful, please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find this information. And if you'd like to dig deeper on any of these topics, we have specialized playlists on our Spotify profile and the link is in the show notes. Topics like teens, depression, and OCD. Bye, Lynn. Bye, Robin. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.